Hey folks, welcome to the Airport Wild Podcast, brought to you by Lumakers Wildlife Management. I'm your host, Jesse Warner, and in this podcast we'll be going over tips, tactics, and doing some gear reviews to help you, the listener, to get set up and prepared to bring wildlife management to a higher level. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to another edition of Airport Wild Podcast, brought to you by Lumakers Wildlife Management. Uh, so today, well... Before I get into that, I should go back through that. As always, my name is uh, Jesse Warner, and I'm your host along with uh, my black lab, Boone Doug, um, who's always right here beside me. But uh, yeah, I just want to go over in this new episode. I wanted to touch on something that, or more go, rather go over something a bit in more detail about something we touched on in the last episode, or in a previous episode, rather. Uh, and that's uh, guides, like in... And so in our first installment, we talked about the Merlin Bird app, which is a free application provided by the uh, Cornell Lab of Ornithology um, to help, to pretty much to help people better, uh, better be able to identify uh, birds around them more quickly. Um, and I think we'll touch on Merlin again uh, in a little bit, but I wanted, to, because it touched on the technology, I kind of wanted to touch a little bit on the old school, I guess you could call it, way of uh, identifying birds with just a, a bird guide. Um, just I'm talking just a hard copy bird guide. Um, if anybody that's ever sat through a uh, Lou Makers Wildlife training course, one of our eight-hour courses, uh, has probably more than likely received a bird guide uh, with the Lou Makers, you know, label on the spine. And, um, and so we, we give out, uh, I think it's Peterson's is what we usually uh, give out as the brand. I've actually got um, a little Maker's Peterson's uh, right here in front of me. Um, so uh, mine is the Western North America book uh, because, well, I mean, I'm in Arizona, uh, although I do have an Eastern around here somewhere. Um, I've actually got four guides in front of me. I've got a Peterson's, uh, I've got a National Geographic, and I've got two editions of the Sibley's, uh, the Eastern and the Western I usually wind up grabbing a, a Sibley's, but um, the Petersons are they're really they're all great books. It's just uh, I guess over time, folks will just lean one way or the other with their with their preferences. Uh, but I just wanted to go over a little bit about kind of how to use a bird guide and kind of like some little tips and tricks you can use with them um, to carry around in your truck or uh, have in your pack, um, and uh, yeah, just to have something with you to identify a bird you might see uh, in the field. So first I'm just going to grab the Petersons. Uh, again, I'm using the Western the Western edition. There is an Eastern edition, so a lot of species will, will cross over, like, you know, like ducks, like mallards, gadwalls. They're going to be east and west coast. Red-tailed hawks, bald eagles, ospreys, they're going to go east, east and west coast. Um, versus mine has birds like... Uh, in Arizona, we have like um, cactus wrens and, and faina peplas and uh, just these birds like endemic to the southwest that, of course, you're not going to get if you're burning in Maine. But at the same time, if you're burning in Maine, you're going to get puffins and razorbills and uh, all these other kind of seabirds that we're not going to get in Arizona. Trust me. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so... Um, 
just when you're you're opening up the book, the first thing I mean, you're gonna see the plates, what they're calling the table of contents, uh, and that's and these are pretty much all gonna be very very similar uh, in what they have in the table of contents. So pretty much every bird, like I'm gonna grab my Western Sibleys too at the same time and kind of try to go through both at the same time, and yeah, so. First off, uh, with the with the Petersons, you're going to start with your waterfowl, your geese, your swans, and your ducks. In the Sibleys, you're going to start the exact same way. You're going to do swans and geese first, and then your ducks. Uh, and then, <laughs> in Petersons, they have a section, they call them chicken-like birds, which in mine, it will start on page 52, and that's just referring to the gallinaceous birds, is the fancy way of saying uplands. Uh which is like your grouse and your turkeys and chuckers and pheasants and that kind of stuff. And it's the same thing in the Sibleys. It's you go right from the waterfowl right to your uplands. Uh, then you go from the uplands to the loons and the grebes. Same in both. And then from those you go to your tube noses. Uh, and this is where it kind of gets... It's different orders, but it's pretty much talk about the same classes. So the tube noses, you're talking about your... Uh, Pretty much your water birds. Um, it's going to include like in like right here it says tube noses, pelicans, cormorants, and relatives. Uh, so tube noses, I think that's referring to uh, like your your um, uh, what are they call albatrosses, your shearwaters, your storm petrels, uh, water birds, water birds, big water birds, and they're going to pretty much stay like this the whole time. Is that they the wordings be a little bit different, or they might have a, a species or a group a little earlier in the book in one versus the other, but in general, they're going to stay in those same brackets. Um, so once you learn one, you're, you'll probably learn, you pretty much got them down pat, no matter which, no matter which guide you pick up, you're going to be able to quickly uh, know where to look um, in, in another, another book. So uh, a quick trick uh, that I know a lot of folks use, um, I'm guilty of not using it a lot, although I worked with, with um, some individuals that were very good about doing this. But you can go through with uh, sticky notes, labels, uh, whatever you have at hand, and go through each of those sections and mark out, physically mark out where each section begins. And I'm talking marking out your waterfowl, marking out your gallinaceous. So that way you, you, can, you don't have, you're not sitting there flipping or trying to like look at a number. You just looked up, yep, raptors. And then you can get more particular in there once you've got your, you know, your, your section figured out. Um, so, and I think, the reason I think they do these orders is that, while well, it makes it easier for everybody, because you can pick up a Petersons, you can pick up a Sibley's. Um, my other version, I have, I think I mentioned it, I have the National Geographic version. I've got totes of these things in my house. And, and bird guides, I mean, guides are not just for birds, too. Um, if you're an outdoorsy person, I know you've seen these things. We've got... I think last year we were actually giving out a tracking one where it was a, it was a Peterson still, but instead of birds, they talked about uh, uh, tracking and, and scat and pretty much looking at spore left behind by, by animals so you can so you don't have to see it. You can, it kind of helps everybody learn their tracks. Um, uh, yeah, so you can pick up, learn the difference between a bobcat and a coyote and a fisher, I mean, it's, uh, and a fox, I mean, whatever, whatever's in your area. But, so, going back to the bird guide, um, the, so, another thing, I, and I, I'm glad they do this, is that, with all of these, they put waterfowl first, uh, 
And I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome because I think that for people that don't know their birds, that are just trying to learn their birds, uh, that need to start learning those visual cues, uh, I think waterfowl are the perfect training tool, or not tool, but the perfect training uh, genre or um, guild, as it were, in that ducks look similar, but at the same time also different. Um, once, you, once you start learning your birds, learning your ducks, uh, they're very, very easy to identify. And that's because the mallards, not the mallards, the uh, mallards are waterfowl, but uh, bear with me. Um, ducks are so varied in, in their outlook uh, with the drakes. The hens, you're starting to get, this is, I think, if start with the drakes. If you can learn your drakes, you'll pick up the hens later because you can start identifying the drakes. You're going to start seeing these other kind of mute colored birds along with them, and that's going to be the females. And then from there, you can start uh, learning your, your more particulars. Uh, uh, but with, with the males, um, I mean, you have, I mean, you have some of the most, well, for one of the most beautiful birds, they're very, very easy to find. I mean, any body of water, city park, uh, anything like that's going to have ducks on it. I mean, the things are everywhere. Uh, I mean, even here in Phoenix, um, like I've always considered a widgeon to be a wild duck. And then you come to uh, Encanto Park here in Phoenix. Um, if you're in the southwest and you want to get some birding in, come down to Encanto. It's uh, 15th Ave and, well, it's Encanto Street, but you get there from, it's between McDowell and Thomas. But anyways, uh, we have widgeons and mixed in with these, mallard, these domestic ducks and domestic geese and ringnecks and mallards. And, yeah, these widgeons are mixed right in and they're... Um, they're pretty much feed people feed them, and it's it's, it's just another park duck, but it's a bald pay, it's a widgeon. Um, but yeah, so with the waterfowl, I think they're fantastic just because they're so they can be so varied. Um, uh, so the first thing, the first rule I try to tell people when when I'm trying to explain all this bird ID stuff to them, especially with the ducks, is pick a color. Um, and I think on ducks, that color is white. Uh, if you can identify where the white is located on a duck, if it's, if there's even white there, if you can, I tell, if, like, if somebody can tell me, like, walk up to me and say, hey, I saw this duck, but I don't know what it is, they, if they can accurately tell me where the white is located on that duck, pretty good shot, I'm going to figure it out. Um, uh, some key indicators with these is like your, we'll, we'll go back to the widgeons, uh, with the widgeons and, uh, I need another cup of coffee. It's, it's, it's early still. Um, but, uh, I think it's the speculum, um, not the speculum, the, uh, secondaries, excuse me. The secondaries on a, on a widgeon has a big white spot and I'm talking drakes. I'm only talking drakes right now. Has this giant white spot. Um, it's right in the middle. It's, it's it's center of the wing, offset to the to the nearest near the body. Uh, but it's a very, very large white spot, uh, big white patch. And that spot, I mean, if you, I didn't see the head, I didn't see, and and also, I'll, I'll, well, I'll go into the bellies in a second here. Um, if I didn't see anything else on the bird, that white will tell me that's a widgeon. I mean, if I see that flash of white, I mean, bang on, that's a widgeon.
um, versus if that uh, if that white was back on the speculum, and I'm talking still near the body, but on the trailing edge, the rear edge of the wing, that's a gadwall. Uh, just because, I mean, it, the nickname I've heard referred to as gadwall the oddball, just because they're the only birds that have this white speculum. And that's not to be confused with, uh, like, a mallard. Mallards also have white on the speculum, but not a white speculum, if that makes sense. So, um, I'm not sure how it varies between the eastern and western, but I'm just opening up my uh, my bird guide here and uh, trying to get to the ducks. Um, there's the geese. Here's the dabblers. So, with the widgeon... Uh, yeah, you can see that, um, and I'm on page 25 uh, in the dabbling ducks in in the in this Peterson Western guide, and they, so they show what the bird looks like, you know, resting when it's floating on the water, but they've also got a flight image for the drakes, and you can see uh, with I'm looking at American widgeon, not the Eurasian widgeons, although they do they will occur sometimes in the U.S., but it's it's extremely uh, rare or uncommon rather. Um, Although that is listed as rare in, in the in the guide. And then it'll tell you how common these birds are too. Um, so that's the nice thing about having these guides is that they also there's a there's maps associated with each species, uh, with the various colors that show um, breeding areas, uh, wintering areas, um, and they're and they're where they're gonna be found on uh, year round. Um, so just I mean just looking at these maps quick, uh, I probably should have looked it up um so, uh, where it's pink, that's the breeding area. Um, blue is wintering, and then uh, the purple in the middle there, that's kind of like the year-round, very, very common to see them. Uh, they might even be breeding and, breeding and wintering, uh, such as the case. I mean, anybody that's, that's uh, on the East Coast or, or in the Midwest that has a resident flock of Canada geese, they're going to know what that purple is like because those things don't go anywhere. They just stay in one area all all year long. Um, but anyway, getting back to the widgeon, uh, you're going to see in that on that flight photo, there's a large white section. And that's, yeah, that's where it's located um, on the wing. And then also, uh, and this is, and, and one thing I love about ducks is how many nicknames each species has. I mean, depending on what region of the country you're in, uh, these birds might have a different, a different name. Um, the most common nickname for widgeon that I'm aware of is the cotton top. And that's because, uh, or the bald pate, I've heard of a lot of, especially old timers will call them bald pate. Um, and that's because they have that large white section on their, on their head, which kind of, you know, makes them, looks a little, uh, like they've lost their hairline a little bit. Um, and then, I mean, right next to that, we have, I probably should have used pintail instead of the gadwall, but I think gadwall's a better, uh, a better section or a better example. Well, you can see how much white is on a pintail just above, in the western, it's just above the widgeon. Then at the very, very bottom, uh, you have the wood duck. I mean, in, in my book, of course, like I said, I have the western one. The wood duck is listed as uncommon. Um, that's because west of the Mississippi River, you don't see a whole lot of wood, wood ducks. They they do occur, and they're, um, they're not rare, but you'll see them in much, much, much greater numbers in the heavily timbered sections of the Mississippi River Valley um, and up through the Northeast. Uh, uh, I know uh, my home state of New York, uh, it's pretty much if you're out looking for waterfowl, especially in the off season, 
uh, and I'm talking like in the summertime breeding seasons, wood ducks are what you got. I mean, uh, and, and like some nicknames for those, I've heard them called Woodrows, Woodies. Um, my favorite is Squealers because they make it just this really cool little kind of squeaking, squealing noise. Um, they're really, really agile flyers. But uh, you can see how the white varies on them. If you can see the white on a wood duck, you know, uh, you know where it's going to be. Um, and now for me, it's the following page 26 is where the gadwall is. And then if you look at the flight photo on the gadwall, there's that patch real close to the body on the, on the rear edge. That's white. And that's the only white section on them. I mean, they're called, uh, well, they're mostly a, a pretty gray, pretty gray bird. And that lends their nickname as Mr. Gray or gray ducks or whatever. Um, I think gray ducks is probably the most common uh, as far as their, as, the, as their nicknames. Um, yeah, this is fairly common. I know here in, in, uh, Arizona this past winter, I mean, it's February right now, nice, cold, raining February morning. Uh, this past winter, we had a lot of gadwall in the valley, in the valley of the sun here. Um, so yeah, if you can tell where the white is on, on these ducks, you can really key in on what, what you're probably looking at. Um, another two... That, that are really good to compare to are your mallards and your shovelers. Uh, mallards, they're the, I mean, they're the, quint, the quintessential duck. Um, they're the ones that everybody knows. Most of our uh, uh, domestic varieties are derived from the mallard. But if you look, he's got a what? I mean, look in the drakes. They got that white ring, and it's not really white, but they have this kind of uh, grizzled gray belly with a deep dark brown chestnut chest uh i mean pretty it's pretty easy spot um now compare that to the shoveler and that brown and that white are reversed and widget our uh, shovelers have so much white on them uh if if you're on a lake and you see a lot of white out there i mean as long as it's not covered in snow geese as you're probably covered in, in shovelers that white is just so stark and so bright and uh, heavily contrast no matter how, what how much glare is on the lake uh, yeah shovelers are very very easy to spot even without um, without the aid of binoculars uh, and then there's another there's a GWWG it's uh, or GGWW or however you want to arrange the letters uh, if anybody's ever taken a waterfall identification course, they've probably gone over this. And that's to talk about the four species of ducks that have white bellies. Uh, and that's going to be, uh, yeah, pretty sure it's for white bellies. Um, I probably just butchered that. But that's your uh, wood ducks, widgeons, gadwalls, and green winged teal. Because um, greenies will have that that white belly. You can't. See, that's one thing about these bird guys is that they show you the backs of the, of the feathers. Like when the bird is banking, like he's going to swing back towards you, towards the left. But the white on him is on his, well, I mean, he's got the little bar there. But the white on him is his belly. Uh, that's, uh, and and when they're flying, when one's flying over you, that's what you're going to notice is the white belly. I mean, a little tiny duck flying, it seems like they're, they're flying a Mach 2, but they're actually flying slower than mallards. They're just so small and agile, it makes them look faster. Um, but they're actually one of the slower species of ducks, little, uh, bet you didn't know moment. Um, 
Yeah, so you can compare that. I mean, of course, they show the American and the and the Eurasian in in this uh, in this Peterson's guide. But um, yeah, so there's little keys, um, and then the more time you spend looking at these birds, the more uh, time you you spend well listening to podcasts like this. I mean, hopefully you keep listening in, and we can keep giving you more and more tips on how to become more proficient. Um, but uh, yeah, you're you're, start, you're gonna start picking up little tricks. You're gonna start little having little preferences. Um, it's like in the last one I talked about binoculars. Uh, I think I mentioned that I think. Um, 10 by 42s are the ultimate binocular. They're, all, they're the most utilitarian. I know folks uh, prefer 12 powers and folks prefer 8 powers, but for me, I think a 1042 is the ultimate workhorse. Um, uh, and then same thing with with these with the birdings. We everybody every birder I know has little tricks um, to try to to speed up or or make their uh, uh, sightings more accurate, but. You've got to use everything. Like, don't just look at the photos, because a lot of times what will happen is that you'll look, you'll be cruising through, and these Petersons take time, especially if you're not familiar, with, not not just the Petersons, excuse me, these bird guides take time uh, to figure out. So it might, it takes a little bit of time to get your, like, if you might see a bird, um, I would, if you can, I'd recommend taking a photo of it. Um, you can actually... Uh, with a pair of binoculars, if you have your smartphone with you, I think I went over this in the, in the last one, but maybe not. But uh, if you have your smartphone with you, take your pair of binoculars. Hopefully, you've got a pair of binoculars with you. You should have a pair of binoculars with you. Uh, I prefer using the left eye cup. You can use either one. But take that left eye cup and turn the eye cup out if it's not already. And then take your phone... Uh, and then put it on either phone or photo or video, and then start out and kind of work your phone back towards your binoculars just to make sure you get the lenses lined up. Uh, but then you can either take a photograph or a video of that bird, and then if that bird does fly off or you lose sight of it, whatever, you've got something. You can you got a reference point that you might. Uh, notice, oh yeah, I didn't notice that yellow when I first saw it, or oh, oh his, his legs are a different color than I thought, and um, and those little key indicators can really, I mean, they call them key indicators for a reason, because they can be key in figuring out what the heck you're looking at. Um, but in addition to, to those little key indicators, make sure you're looking at those maps, because like I've had folks tell me it's, and I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on an example, but like I saw such and such a bird. In, in New York on this date. So, yeah, but that bird should have been wintering in Georgia that time. Like, I'm not saying you didn't see it, but chances are highly unlikely. Um, so you can use those maps to figure out if the birds even should be in the area at the time. Uh, and, I mean, they all use this. I'm, like, I'm going to pick up my, my Sibleys right now. Uh, and the Sibleys, I mean, I've got the second edition Sibleys. Um, I, I'm holding the Western one in my hand. Uh, and they do the same thing. They show there's a bit more photographs. Um, uh, I think it's a little higher quality, but uh, yeah. Then it shows the maps, and then it shows a national map, not just the uh, the one section of the country that the book is for, which is which is kind of nice as a as a do all books. I mean, I lasted. I mean, I moved out. I've been in Arizona for about two years now. Um, and I just recently picked up a Western Sibley's because I was getting by with an Eastern Sibley's because it's most of what I was looking at was in there. 
And then another reason, and I'm going to jump away from the guide, uh, the, the hard copies, is that I utilize uh, my phone a lot. Um, I'm a, I mean, I hate to claim it, but I'm a millennial. Um, I use my phone more than I'd like to admit to, but I do use it a lot. Uh, and I, especially with, with my birding, as long as I've got battery, um, which this is, I mean, it's the one crutch of the system is you got to make sure your battery's lasting, uh, is using this, this Merlin ID app. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, so Merlin is, uh, I've probably touched on this before, but I want to go over it again. Um, Merlin is a free app provided by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. Uh, and they've got another service um, that I'm going to put up, uh, I'm going to talk about here too, um, as more of a, a learn. it's more of a learning tool, not so much the uh, a, 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 a resource ID, or an ID resource, uh, but I still want to go over it. But um, yeah, getting back to the app, it's, it's free. I mean, right now I just opened it, I just opened the app up. Uh, and it says um, bird ID help for 3,000 plus species. So when I first downloaded this app, I mean, I was, uh, this was, I downloaded it years ago. Um, I think I've had this app for four or five years now, um, well before my time with Lumakers. And uh, yeah, utilized it all the time. But I think it said it was, it was like 400 species when I first downloaded it. And now they're up over 3,000. Um, I mean, they're constantly working on this app, constantly making it better, making it faster, making it more accurate. Um, and now it's not just a North American. It's actually, I think it actually provides bird IDs uh, globally. Um, so if you don't have it yet, make sure you download it. It's, it's free. Um, you can get it through for both Android and iOS. So you don't know worries about ha not having the right uh, operating system. Um, but when you download it, uh, it's going to ask you for a pack. Uh, and what, so you, you don't have to download the information for that whole 3,000 birds. You can download um, either all of North America or you can download a specific subregion, like the, if you live in the Pacific Northwest or the Atlantic Northeast or in the Southeast or, in my case, the Southwest. Um, you can download it so that it takes up a lot less, less memory. I mean, you can download the whole thing if you want. I mean, all, I mean, all the globals, but, I mean, that's a lot of useless information um so yeah once you do that it's going to open up and you're going to have uh, uh two options um it's going to have start bird id or photo id so this is another really cool feature on here is that if you've got especially a really good photograph of your bird in question uh you can actually upload the photo right to this and it'll, it'll analyze it and then it'll try to tell you what it is i've only used it a handful of times but so far it's been really accurate um, so yeah, we're just going to go right into to start bird ID and we're going to, uh, so I'm going to pick a species beforehand that I know, um, that that's around here. Let's see if we can figure it out. Um, but I'm going to pick, well, I'm going to pick Arizona state bird. I'm going to pick the cactus wren. Uh, and just to make sure I don't get stuff wrong in my own head, I'm going to pull out a book. Um, Well, you know what? Let's do one that actually the whole everybody's gonna have. Um, uh, oh, that's one thing I wanted to go over too. I just I just remembered that. This is why I gotta write notes for myself. Um, with the white on the birds, uh, there's two species that everybody gets mistaken. 
um, especially folks that are unfamiliar with birds, and that's uh, bald eagles and ospreys. Um, and then being able to tell where the white is on each one of those two species, along with some other you know little indicators, being able to tell where those two white is, two white spots are, or not two, being able to tell where the white spots are on those two birds, uh, can it can impact your your harassment. I mean, if so, when it comes to um, ospreys, uh, as far as like if you had one hanging around the airport and you wanted to uh, harass, that is going to fall under your depredation permit. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that your airport has has a, a permit for, um, provided by United States Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, uh, but in that, um, there's no, off the top of my head, there's no special regulations with ospreys. Uh, you can harass them as long as you've got that permit, you know, as long as you know, no harassing the ospreys clause, which I've never seen one, but you never know. Um, but that's not the case with bald eagles and golden eagles. So, and I forget what year it is. So the bald and the golden eagle fall under a special act. Um, I think it's just called the bald eagle act. Um, I really should know that off the top of my head a bit better, but, uh, yeah, so provided with that, you've got to have a separate permit to even harass bald eagles. So if you do not have a bald or golden eagles, if you do not have a golden eagle or an eagle permit, and you're in the middle of harassment, and a bald eagle or a golden comes by, like, within eyesight, within line of sight, you're done. Um, harassment stops. It's, you cannot ha harass that bald eagle, um, which may impact uh, other harassment techniques in the area. I know um, I used to work on a landfill. Uh, uh, I'm not going to say which one, but I worked on a landfill where we had that issue where bald eagles would come by. I mean, you're trying to get rid of gulls uh, working this landfill, and here comes a bald eagle. Um, just It happens. Um Especially in the middle of winter on a on a major uh, on a major river system, but uh, uh, yeah. So if but so if you're gonna be if you if you have bald eagles in the area, make sure you're getting that bald eagle permit. Um, I think it's a five year permit. It's not like your dep depredation permit, which has to be renewed uh, every year. Um, actually, I think they just changed it, so now it's you have to update them in April, March. Yeah, I think it's April first they come due. Um, so yeah, uh, you can apply and get a bald eagle, golden eagle permit, which will allow you to harass eagles. There is no take whatsoever, but you can harass. But that's, and that, that's a, that's a really good idea though, that you'd be able to tell the difference between an osprey and a bald eagle. So on a uh, bald eagle, everybody's familiar with, I mean, it's, well, it's a national bird. Everybody should be familiar with it. Um, but Big brown bird, I mean, big brown bird, white head, white tail. Only problem is, for the first four to five years of their life, bald eagles don't look like that. They're still big and brown, but they don't have the white head and the white tail. Bald eagles look like somebody had them stand spread eagle and then um, took a white, a can of white paint and just splattered it right over them. Uh, they just have all this white splotching all across their undersides. Um, 
And some folks will mistake them for an Osprey. Whereas Ospreys are they're a bit smaller, still a very, very big bird, uh, but they'll have black and white. With it's, and it's that white is kind of modeled throughout their, their plumage. Um, and then so folks will, con, will confuse that Osprey with a juvenile bald eagle. And like I said, that juvenile is going to look like that for four to five years before they get that, that adult plumage. Um, and I mean, another indicator is that how it's holding its wings. So ospreys tend to uh, flap a lot. Uh, they still do glide, but they tend to flap a lot. And they've got a very pronounced wrist. So the leading edge of their wings will have a very hard juncture in it. Uh, they have a very, very pronounced wrist, is what I call it, in um, on their wings. Versus eagles will soar a bit more. But when they do fly, or especially when they're gliding, they'll. Uh, it looks like they've just got a 2x6 laid across their back. I mean, it is flat from wingtip to wingtip. Um, there's no V. Uh, there's nothing. It's not like um, a turkey vulture. Uh, of course, with their initials, I know a lot of birders refer to them as TVs, but they kind of look like a TV antenna because when they're flying, they, of course, got that big brown body, but their wings will be pitched. Um, so they, they make a really shallow uh, V shape with their wings. Um, so it's another, at a distance, you can tell an eagle from a, a, a Vulture in that way, um, and that's little. That's what I was talking about about little tricks. Uh, is just knowing your birds, um, knowing the little, knowing the behaviors and the habits of individual birds. Um, but yeah, so sorry about that little bit of a tangent. But I want to get back to uh, uh, Merlin. So we're just going to use a real simple one. We're going to use red-tailed hawk. I mean, everybody in the country's got red tails. Uh, doesn't matter if you're in Maine or Arizona or Washington or Florida, you're going to have a red-tailed hawk. Um, nothing really specific. Um, so after you select just the big green button, um, start bird ID, uh, I'm going to say I'm in well current location. So if you have your location services on on your phone, uh, you can um, punch in the current location. You can do press current location. It'll figure out where you are. You can put in your zip code. You can find yourself on a map or if you have save spots. So I've got cities all over Arizona that I've been to with birding and they, they automatically um, they automatically just save right in my phone. But I'm going to do current location, uh, today's date. Um, and then one cool thing is that for the size of the bird, it's not to ask you, well, was it 6 inches tall or 8 inches tall? It's not how they do things. They take common birds and then have you compare them to those in size. So they starts out very very smallest is sparrow sized or smaller, um, I mean very very small birds. Uh, next is robin sized, crow sized, and then goose sized or larger. But another cool thing is they'll do in betweens. So they say, well, it's bigger than a crow, but it's smaller than a goose, such as a hawk. Uh, that's what you're going to select. Um, so it's a really cool feature uh, you can pick, and then you can pick um, up to three colors. I mean, you have to choose at least one, but you, you pick up two, three. You know, by, by no means do you have to pick three. Um, and we're going to say uh, brown and white. Um, we'll say that it's on a, on a branch facing me. All I see is the brown and the white. I can't see its tail. Um, and then I'll ask you, like, what, for, what was the bird doing? Like, what was the behavior? Your options are eating at a feeder, swimming or waiting, on the ground, in the trees or bushes, on a fence or wire, 
soaring at fly, soaring or flying. And let's be real, I mean, red-tailed hawks, I mean, it's probably not eating at a feeder unless it just nailed a rabbit that was eating some fallen stuff, or it's probably not swimming unless something really went wrong. Um, so it's either going to be on the ground, in the bushes, on a fence, or flying over. Uh, we're going to say it was uh, in trees or bushes. And then you just, then it starts processing from there. And then for me, so the first one comes up, and it comes up with... Not artist renditions, but it comes up with uh, actual photographs of the bird. Um, so the first one for me was Cooper's Hawk, was the first one I brought up. But here, number two, here's Red Tail. I mean, if I had put the red in as a third color, it would have brought up Red Tail first thing. Um, but I saw just my number two. And then through this, you can scroll through. They have multiple photographs from different angles, uh, showing different color phases. And that's one other thing with birds is that they come in color phases. Uh, like uh, we were out in um, uh, uh, Wickenburg, Arizona, um, two weeks ago. Cody and I. Um, if you've been through class, you probably met Cody Bashuska. Um, uh, but we saw a red tail in a tree, and we looked at it, and we looked at. Well, I was looking at it. Um, I mean, looked at it, looked at it, said, man, it's, it's dark, and it just turned out to be a color-phased red tail, which was pretty uncommon, but, um, like, there's a, the, the very, very dark ones referred to as Harlan's, uh, but then you can also do, um, you, there's light phases, there's morphs, yeah, they can come in different colors, but they all, they're all going to have the same brown and white, and they're going to have that classic red tail, um, versus a Cooper's Hawk, Cooper's Hawk is a, that one you might see at a bird feeder because they're a bird-eating hawk. Uh, they they love hang them and sharp shin hawks love to feed on songbirds. And where do songbirds congregate? At the local bird feeder. Um, like recently, my mother called me, freaking out because something just ate one of her birds, and it was I mean it was a Cooper's. Um, uh, came down and nailed a blue jay right in front of her. It kind of kind of startled her, but that's the way the world works. Um, so let's just go through some what other options that it gave me was uh, black, um, black crown night heron. That's a good one because um, you, you will see those in trees, uh, although it probably could be a lot closer to water. Um, peregrine falcon, that's a fantastic one, actually. Um, uh, then here in Arizona, we have Harris hawks. Uh, here's the osprey, double-crested cormorants. You're kind of grasping at straws there, but whatever. Uh, green herons, common merganser. Not sure what commons are doing in a tree. So I didn't think they were arboreal nesters, but that's the only way I can think that they'd be in here. Um, brown pelican, turkey vulture. Yeah, so it kind of grasps at straws on a couple of them, but um, those first two, I mean, those first two options, That's those are pretty pretty awesome options. Um, so... Yeah, so that's the Merlin app. It's just a. There's other apps out there. There's some free ones or some you have to pay for, but I think for what you for. For what you get, it's really really hard to beat the heart the not the Harlins. That's the bird, um the Merlin app, um and no they didn't name it Merlin because it's, very fast and like magic. It's, because there's a, falcon called a Merlin. Um, just want to throw that out there, <laughs> uh. So yeah, the last thing I wanted to bring up, 
um, and I'm going to get out of your hair here in a bit, is I wanted to bring up the allaboutbirds.com website. This is also provided by, uh, I got my, my, my laptop right now if you can hear any clicking. Um, this is another website provided by uh, the Cornell Web of Ornithology. And then what's really cool about this is if you have a bird in mind, uh, like you saw a bird, you found a bird on Merlin, and you're like, oh, I wonder what it eats, I wonder where it goes. Come to this website. This will tell you everything you're going to want to know about that bird. Um, they've got some fantastic, uh, uh, yeah, some just um, awesome information on here. And they have it broken down. So let's look up the red-tailed hawk real quick uh, on the website. Just go to search. Uh, I was hoping it was going to auto-populate, but it's not. Um, just waiting for it to load. Oh yeah, just build. <laughs> oh, if I could spell red-tailed right, it'd be a lot easier. And so these guys, they're very particular in how you spell the word. So red-tailed is not actually one word. It's red hyphen tailed. Um, so, and they get real particular. So if you just type in red-tailed, it's bringing up like, Coopers and Harris and Ferruginous and Swainsons and actually didn't bring up Redtail. So that's a little bit of a, the one kind of grape about this. But they've got even larger photos. I mean, of course, you're on a computer versus on a small little smart um, smartphone screen. But if you go to this, so when you first look up your bird, it's going to bring up your overview. It's going to have images. It's going to have uh, your ID info. Um, and this is going to refer to uh, how it compares. It'll even tell you um, where it falls on that scale that between the sparrows, the robins, the crows, and the geese that we were talking about, it'll actually tell you where on that scale to put it um, if you were to come across one. So it kind of gives you a, a better idea for that. Uh, and then it will actually compare. So you have some, like this guy is showing uh, three or two images in a video, but it's showing a belly photo and a back photo, both of the red tail, and then the video is just a one um, hunting, but it shows, so you can see some behavior from some videos, but it'll also compare with some other similar species, like a red-shouldered hawk, Swainson's hawk, it's actually two photos of Swainson's, two different color phases, um, as well as a turkey vulture. And then it'll bring you the keys to ID, colors, behavior, habitat, regional differences, uh, yeah, and um, you can go to life history, um, and that's going to tell you it's it's where does it live, um, what does it eat, where does it nest, how the main behavior, and then also its conservation status, um, which I believe is based on the IUCN, um, IC, IUCN rating, which of course for it's it's for red tails it's low concern. Um, these things are everywhere. Um, so I'll tell you like for food. Uh, uh, Bring, they'll, they'll eat voles, mice, wood rats, rabbits, hares, jackrabbits, pretty much anything uh, anything on the ground um, is uh, red tail go after. But yeah, it's just a really, really cool resource, and it's just that step beyond, but uh, you never know what you're going to see. You might want to learn a little bit more, um, and then you can take this information, and the more you learn, the more you're thinking about this, the better you're going to be in the field. The better you are in the field, the safer the, air, the airport is going to be. Because um, you're just relying on those skills. Uh, I mean, or you can, you know, hire us, and we've already got the skills. Um, 
So yeah, with that, with all that information, I just realized how long this this podcast has been running. Uh, with that, I'm gonna sign off of another episode of Airport Wild, and uh, yeah, I look forward to hanging out with you guys some more and offering some more little tidbits and seeing what I can do to help everybody bring their wildlife management to a higher level.